whole time, the whole thing was shadowing us, right behind us, right on the side of us. You could, you could kind of see the thing moving through the woods. Uh, all I can remember is flipping the light on, and I see this creature, and I knew, I knew in my heart, I knew in my mind, and the whole night, this isn't a man. And then this thing walks across the road, takes a turn towards us, and then leaps over a guardrail. Went to look forward, and there was a big black thing, is all I can DTV Exploring the Bigfoot Mystery each week with your hosts, veteran researcher, author, and TV personality, the Squatch Detective, Steve Culls, and from the Bigfoot Research Project of Kentucky, Chris Bennett. Sit back and buckle up as we bring you guests from around North America discussing the Bigfoot phenomena, but not without a few laughs, too. Here are your hosts, Steve and Chris. And good evening, cyberspace. <clears throat> Welcome to Squatch DTV for today's date, August 30th, 2020. I'm your host, your guide, the Squatch Detective Steve Coles, along with the man down there, Mr. Chris Bennett. Hey, Steve. <laughs> man, we're, we're live from a construction area, work in progress here, but... Uh, Hopefully, I, I I can step around the hammers and nails and stuff and paint uh, and and breathe the paint fumes long enough to stay awake during the show. <laughs> yep. And uh, you, you know, I'm looking at this, and uh, you know, if you need be, we can put some of our people in the chat room to work for you. So uh, I, I appreciate the help, all the help I can get. Yeah, yeah. So I believe we have Doctor Hart on. Doctor Hart, how are you tonight? I'm fine, and I can hear you now. I don't know what the problem was before, but it looks good. I'm on my cell phone, though. Okay. I could never get it on the computer. All righty. Well, Internet Gremlins B. Now, I'm wondering if we're streaming on Facebook at all, because uh, uh, so if one of my attack, if you could go over to Facebook real quick and see if 
we're streaming on Facebook because uh, it seems like we're only streaming on YouTube tonight. So if there's anybody on Facebook, say hello real quick. Yeah. So uh, not sure what what the there's, issue with is there. B's on YouTube. Hi, yeah, B. We got we got B and Frank. Who's saying hey, hi Frank. to B? And we got Tack. Tack. And Frank saying hello to Tack. And uh, so I, I don't know. Uh, any Facebookers say hello real quick, just so we know we're there. But a heck of a show we have lined up for you tonight. We'll pull a graphic up. There it is. We'll get that up there. And we got this handsome fellow down there on the bottom, <laughs> Dr. Hart. Dr. Hart, welcome. Well, thank you very much. I'm pleased to be here. So, uh, uh-oh, no stream on Facebook. Oh. So it looks like the gremlins are at work tough tonight. <laughs> oh, man. So anyway, yeah. Yeah, they'll have to catch right. it on uh, replay. Yeah. Yeah. That's all right. Um, anyway, <clears throat> so we've been out for a, a few weeks. Uh, some, you know, life happens, and it's been kind of a rough week. Chris is moving into a new, new location, and I haven't been feeling the swellest. I'm feeling wonderful now for the last week. Uh, so everything is good. Um, so I don't know if one of you guys can uh, either tack or or uh, uh, Walt, if you could go over to my Facebook page and just post a comment that the Facebook stream is not working. Yeah. And, and if you want to pop over to YouTube, that would be awesome. So anyway. B, uh, B says that the Facebook's not working, Steve. Yeah. No, I, I can't. I can't add it, Mike, because uh, I'm using Restream. <laughs> And uh, you can only use Restream, and that's it. So there's really not much I can do about that. Yeah. Uh, if I'm doing, you know, three separate feeds, I could do that. But I'm, I'm using Restream because we're also broadcasting to the uh, websites as well. So, nope. Unfortunately, when you use Restream, you can't go back and... Uh, <sighs> so anyhow, uh, we'll, we'll get right to it. Um, you know what? You know, Chris. You you know, for the longest time, I've been a real big critic of the uh, the uh, the Ketchum study, aka the Sasquatch uh, Genome Project, and right. the reasons. And I've said for a long time that if they're all getting the same results, it's either contamination or the primer is wrong. And the uh, yeah. and and uh, because uh, I believe she's patented patented the primer. Um, so, uh, uh, but like somebody's chasing dollar signs when they start doing stuff like that, rather than do something <laughs> to further science, they do something that furthers their bank account. And that, right. that's, that's not good. You right. know? And, uh, Do Dr. Hart, uh, is to me, he is the expert on, on this whole thing. Uh, because, uh, from the, the science side, um, you know, we, we, we can get into the whole, we we published it in a, look we've published it we were published in a Denovo journal which turned out to be owned by her and we yeah. we can talk about all that kind of stuff but tonight I really want to talk about the 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 soup and nuts of the uh, of the study itself and uh, you know uh, Dr Hart's written this great book on Kindle it's called the Sasquatch Genome Project a failed study um, and, and there's a forward in it by Dr Jeff Meldrum so of course we all know who Dr Meldrum is. No, oh, yeah. no surprise there. So, um, 
Dr. Hart, uh, I'll let you go into a preamble, you know, why and, uh, you know, why'd you write the book and, you know, the kind of an overview of what you think happened to this study. Okay. Well, um, in 2013, when the original paper came out, February 13th, 2013, um, I, I, I was aware that it was about to come out. So I, um, I went ahead and paid my $30 and bought the access on the website, on the journal website. And by the way, that's not unusual for journals to charge for that. So people who, you know, disparage that, that's not a real issue. And um, I thought, well, gee, um, this is a great opportunity to learn a little more about DNA and uh and identification of unknown species. And so uh, I took this on as a personal growth project. And since they had all the sequences uh, downloadable from the website, I went ahead and downloaded the nuclear DNA sequences of the three samples. Um, and um, then I went and tried to find a database that had some search engine with it that I could make some comparisons of these um, DNA sequences to known species. And I found it. It was um, actually, uh, it's free. It's um, part of the National um, uh, Library of Medicine as part of the uh, National Center for Biotechnology Information, and people submit their sequences from journal articles and elsewhere. And so it's got, um, I don't know, it might have a million species or more by now, and wow. uh, millions and millions of sequences, short sequences, long ones, total genomes, everything. So I thought, wow, this is great, and I just have to learn how to use it. So I thought, well, let's get going, and I did, and I did some preliminary searches, and at the time, I had to learn what is a significant hit, you know? I mean, if you match one sequence to another, um, is 90% good enough? Is 95, 99? And so I was working this out, and I, I had a uh, a little misconception at first about uh, how significant 95% was. And um, I had to learn that there are conserved genes which don't vary too much between species because they work very well and evolution has not changed them. And that was the problem here. By using, uh, by Ketchum using a human reference sequence and Matching her sequence to that, to sequence it, um, it was a bias toward things that have some conserved genes. And so anyway, I sorted through all this and I found some disturbing things. And one of them was that, you know, she purportedly sequenced three whole genomes. Well, actually, she only attempted chromosome 11 that's one out of, you know, your 23 different, uh, 24 different chromosomes. And so um, there's something wrong there. But then even in chromosome 11, 
um, this her sequences were only a small fraction, two uh, percent and less of of the to total chromosome. So that plus the fact that two of these sequences, 26 and 140, um, they only overlapped 31 by 8%. So these three samples are not from the same species. And so that, that's kind of disturbing to begin with. And they're not like close to the same that is to primates or something. So the more I got into this, and I started to look at the mitochondrial, and um, there were anomalies there too. There were too many extra mutations for some of those samples, way beyond the human normal range. And um, so the more I got into it, I thought, well, gee, this is there's some basic things here that are wrong. And I tried to publish a paper, which at first was unsuccessful. Um, then I did eventually publish two more on various aspects of this. And um, so last year, um, six years after the original paper, um, what prompted me to write a book was Scott Carpenter came out with a book. And it was all about conspiracy theories and how mainstream science had treated Melba Ketchum so bad, and he made the statement that nobody has ever critically reviewed her work and come up with scientifically-based criticism, which, of course, was not true, because I had been doing it for six years, and he knew that. Uh, so I thought, well, look, it's time to put all my results together in one book where people can compare them, look at them, Get, get the background information, not have to go everywhere on the internet. So uh, this has taken me about 10 months and it would have taken longer except for unfortunately the COVID virus, which gave wow. me a lot more time to do things. Right. So that, yeah. that's, the, that's the history of it. Let's put it that way. So out of that, let me, let me run by you a couple of uh, questions. So, it seems like to me, and, and I've always said this, it, it seemed like uh, Ketchum was always trying to fit the evidence to her hypothesis rather than the other way around, fitting the hypothesis to the evidence. And is that, that does seem to be the case here. Well, it's okay to have a hypothesis going into one of these things. You know, they teach kids in grade school that you have a hypothesis and then you test it and this and that. It's okay, but when you um, bias your results by trying to compare your sequence with and, and, and sequencing it based on a human reference, that's not appropriate for an unknown species. You need gotcha. to do, you know, what they call de novo sequencing, where you don't assume anything, you use these short fragments. You look for overlaps and build bigger ones that way and then overlaps between them and build your sequence that way, not making any assumptions. Right. So it was a preconceived notion. So and, that that yeah. that would that would basically mean why when she turns around and says, Well, all the other labs I've sent this this to has gotten the same results because she's using she's sending them the primer. 
the same primary. Well, yeah, I'm not quite sure what she means by that. Um, if you use a human primer and you have a contaminated sample, you're going to get human sequences, even right. though they may be a small fraction of the total amount of DNA because the rest won't prime if you use a specific primer. Gotcha. And, you know, by sending stuff to family tree DNA, they're one of these um, ancestry companies. They're a good company. Mm -hmm. They're so modus operandi to take your buccal swabs and use human primers and give you a sequence and a haplogroup and tell you who you're related to. They have no um, methodology for unknown animals. And I proved it. I, I have friends, and they gave me cat, cat DNA from her mouth, dog DNA, and another lady, her horse's mouth swab. And I sent them to Family Tree DNA, and they all came back. Uh, failure to amplify, failure to sequence. So, you know, their methods will not do other animals. Gotcha. And you, you can send something that's contaminated with human, but 99% something else, and you're going to get the human result because mm -hmm. that's all they prime it for. Gotcha. So that's pretty well, that's uh, not appropriate, you know, yeah. for an unknown. And, and the fact that they're, they, uh, she was only using chromosome 11. So she wasn't doing the standard, she was just using one chromosome, correct? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, here's the thing, of course, the effort goes up with uh, however many different chromosomes you want to try to match this to or to try to do a whole genome. I don't know why she picked chromosome 11. It was never justified or discussed in the paper or elsewhere. Um, it did not. I mean, she didn't get much of chromosome 11 in these three samples one of them was about two percent of chromosome 11 and one was less than half a percent of it so even that didn't work too well that should have been a clue if you have the right reference sequence like a human and you got a human sample you should be able to sequence a lot more than just a couple percent and so you know that's a clue too but and and was scott carpenter aware that you were you know, doing this stuff before he came out with his publication saying that there's been no, no In serious. My group, I, uh, I uh, have an appendix with a letter that was sent to him and Melba Ketchum. And he and I have had a couple short exchanges based on a couple of things on his blog. And I think he took my response down. Um, and I've been talking about him on sites that he's aware of and involved with. So he knew what I was doing. I don't know why he would say that nobody had ever critiqued that work scientifically because he knows he knew damn well it, that I had. But it doesn't fit his um, his paradigm of what happened here. Right, right. Yeah, well, it's... Uh, to me, it sounds a lot of... There's a lot of disingenuousness. And just to get a little sense of humor out of this whole thing. Uh, one of our, our fans here, Frank, who's is in here every week, Frank, and we're good to hear you, Frank. Uh, good to see you're not working tonight. Um, 
says Melba has a great joke for breaking ice at the party. What do you get if you cross a banana and a human and a lemur, a Bigfoot? <laughs> so, <laughs> well, uh, Dr. Hart, it, it seems to me like uh, if you have uh, 2% of chromosome 11, that would be difficult to make a determination of a species, wouldn't it? Well, that's still a lot of um, base pairs. Uh, the biggest one, the sample 26, had 2.7 million bases in the sequence that was determined. Sample 140 was 2.1 million, and sample um, 31, which came out pretty much human contaminated with um, fungus, uh, that one had um, 500,000, 531,000 bases. All those numbers are plenty good to identify a species. Um, you know, that, that's en enough of a sequence. But uh, you would have expected much more from the methodology she used. And the reason she didn't get it is because these two animals, number 26, the bear, number 140, the dog, are sufficiently far from human in, mm -hmm. in evolution that trying to sequence with a human reference sequence only gives you those genes that are conserved that haven't changed much over mammalian evolution. So you don't get the whole picture because most of the genes are very different and they won't align with the reference. So okay. you see what I mean? It's, it's trying yeah, to put a square peg in a round hole kind of thing. Right. She was getting like gene sequences that would uh, have uh, create something with four limbs and a single head and, and stuff like that. And that compare, that pretty much switches over to about everything in the animal kingdom, including well, humans. Yeah, that's um, um, a simple way to put it. That's true. They, there are a lot of genes. I mean, after all, um, all, our, all these common mammals, they have a heart, they have lungs, they have a brain, right. a spinal cord. Uh, they walk on feet, two or four, depending. Right. Right. So, you know, and, and so and their um, biochemistry can be similar in some cases. And so that's why you get some of these genes that are nearly the same. But 95 percent is not good enough when you're dealing with these genes. You need over 99 percent or preferably 99 and a half to identify a species with I conserved see. genes. And I don't think that team is. The Sasquatch Genome Project realized that. Um, I didn't know that. You're not born knowing this. I'm a physical chemist. I had to learn it, you know. But, but <laughs> after working with this for years, since 2013, um, you know, you can you can uh, figure some of this out. Yeah, it, it, it took me a bit, but I, I kind of worked some of it like, okay, I, you know, it was, I'm no scientist. So looking at it, you know, I, I'm more of a forensic guy. I'm an uh, investigator by trade. So looking at some of it, I could see where, uh, not 100%, but where, hey, something seems wrong here. And yeah. uh, it, it seems like you have these mutations and or because of, of contamination. And she's calling it Sasquatch in every single case. And her, yeah. you know, her justification always was, well, it's human DNA and this quote-unquote angel DNA. 
And yeah. I, I've heard ruminations of that since 2012, even before the report came out. Yeah. Um, I don't get into angels. Um, yeah. You know, that's a belief thing. It's not science. And, uh, you know, uh, that these are extraterrestrials and all that. I can't deal with that. I just try no. to use no scientific methodology right. or develop something close to it. But so that's that's where I stand on that. Yeah. But there were many of the tests that she reported in her paper that came out so anomalous. Her answer was always it's an unknown species. Um, but really, um, the more logical explanation in these cases is that she was either using the wrong primers or that it was contaminated or both. De or degraded, too. Degraded is another problem with this. All of these issues um, I brought up in separate chapters with... Um, individual searches and matches to databases and figures and phylo trees. That's a tree of evolution where you show the relationship between species based on their DNA. And um, so I'm hoping people will get into it a little deeper than some of the emails and so forth that, you know, you see typically on the internet. So yeah, there's been some questions where they can get your book, and I got the the link actually scrolling in the banner below. Yeah, so, cool. So, well, uh, one thing, um, if you and this wasn't the case at first, but if you go to Amazon.com and just look up my name, yep, the book comes up, and it's now available in paperback as well. At first, this is kind of interesting. Um, it. I put in Haskell Hart and I got Haskell Har, H-A-R-R -R only. And he's a famous drummer uh, <laughs> who's written, written a lot of drum symphonies and uh, books to learn how to drum and stuff like that. I couldn't get through it. And finally, I think they put me in the database or something. And you, you'll, it'll come right up. It's only one book. I've never written a book before. So there's only one. Gotcha. Um, there is a question in the chat. Uh, you know, I'll put that up on the screen and saying, okay. uh, what does Dr. Hart think about Dr. Meldrum's work? <laughs> well, Dr. Meldrum is an expert in the evolution of bipedal motion in primates. That, that's his very special specialty. Uh, he's an anthropologist and um, a biologist. And I think his work on footprints is solid. Unfortunately, you know, it's not enough for mainstream science to accept the new species. But his analysis of footprints and the type of foot that would have to make those and everything seems sound to me. Now, I'm not an expert in this, so I should tell you that I'm just looking at it as another scientist and um, it, it looks pretty good to me. It's not enough, unfortunately, to prove. And I don't even think DNA would necessarily be enough to to have it recognized. I think you're going to need a body somewhere, probably. Um, but I, I have a lot of respect for Dr. Meldrum, and I asked him to write a forward, or if he would, and he said he would. So I wouldn't have put him in my book if I didn't respect his, sure. his <laughs> 
abilities, you know. Uh, Nobody's next- perfect, so I will say that, you know, not me, not him, not you guys, not Melba Ketchum. So, you know, there can be things that people do that, um, you know, they have to retract or that aren't quite correct. Uh, a couple of quick notes. Uh, Nanam Yankee. Uh, well, we our good buddy Nanam Yankee from across the pond, which is Nottingham Welcome. Yankee. Yeah. Welcome. <laughs> um, Mick, our good friend Mick's got a question. What are the chances that Sasquatch DNA shares enough similarities that it could easily misidentified as human? And I think in a DNA study that would definitely show up the difference. But well, this is uh, a very good question because. I guess if you put a gun to my head and said, what is it closest to? I'd say it's probably closer to human than anything else. Right. I may be wrong. That's just based on some very sketchy evidence. But if you have enough sequences, there will be places where humans will differ greatly from chimpanzees, although overall it's only a couple few percent. But there are places where the differences are extremer more extreme. And um, we can hope that there would be enough differences from a modern human that they, they could be picked out. And, but they may not be so different. They may be just a mute, a slight mutant of a human or, or something of, or, or of that nature. Um, so we don't know, but, um, and I don't know what the odds are if you're asking for a percentage, but I think there's a good chance that it would be difficult to tell the difference or you would need a very long sequence or a series of fairly long sequences to really prove that this is not human because gotcha. it could only be, you know, a few tenths of a percent different or less. Right. But uh, do you have any doubt that Sasquatch is a primate? <laughs> Well, um, I think it's chapter 19 in my book. I actually saw one. And people think I'm probably a skeptic and all that. And, you know, I'm scientifically skeptical. But I saw one in clear daylight for about two seconds or a little more. Um, And I had somebody go out there uh, later. And it was way bigger than this six-foot-tall friend. And it was broader, and it was red and hairy. And uh, I heard it uh, break a branch or a stick as it walked. Yeah. And so, and and my distance was a little off. I thought it was 50 yards away, but uh, when we went back and measured it, it was 30 yards away. Yeah. But I've been known to overshoot the golf green, so that explains <laughs> that. But anyway, 30 yards away, um, and so. Um, I believe it exists. I don't know exactly what it is, but, and I, this was 1120 in the morning and wow. this particular group, we weren't drinking or anything and we don't do drugs and stuff. And, right. you know, it was, I'm a pretty good observer of nature and I've had better than normal vision when I was younger and so on. And I picked this up out of the corner of my eye and then turned and, and there it was, and uh, it was surrounded by bright green foliage, and it was in an opening, and so the, the contrast couldn't have been better. This is not one of those light gray on dark, dark gray, out-of-focus things at all. Right. 
unfortunately, I didn't get a picture. I don't know that I could have in two seconds. Um, people say, well, why don't you shoot it? Well, I wasn't prepared for that, and I'm not sure I want to shoot one now. They may be too close to human for me. And, uh, you know, I I'm couldn't sure have pulled it off. I'm sure it took you a couple of seconds to figure out what the heck you were looking at. You're probably like, what? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Uh, we were out there looking for them. And, you know, I didn't okay. expect to see one. This is one of my first expeditions. And, um, you know, I, I was checking some string traps where you tie a string between two trees. And if it's high enough and it's broken, well, maybe you got one coming through there or could have been an owl or a bird or something but i was checking these and you know i hadn't seen anything in the previous two days two or three days so um i was a little unprepared but you know i wasn't like i didn't have to think very long about it right i i always i always tell people that uh, you know the the because the the psychology end of things and how people behave and how creatures behave is kind of my thing and I, I've always said, people always say, well, why didn't you shoot it? Or why didn't you take a picture of it? Because it takes that, that for the first few seconds, your mind is trying to process what you're seeing. You know, you're yeah. not like, like what? Yeah. Really? Yeah. You know, and then by the time you're thinking, oh, I got this, it's gone. Yeah. I've never been able to focus my camera that quickly. I mean, uh, you can get a fixed uh, focal length camera, and but it won't magnify very much. And um, so on, and you know, a couple of seconds is is not long. Oh, one one of the more aggravating things is, is lay people who who turn around and say, "Well, with all these camera phones and all these you know electronic, you know, you know, why don't we have more pictures?" Well, the fact is, is we probably do have some, but they're blurry because you know, in a mm -hmm. forest, that camera will focus on the first thing it sees instead of what yeah. you want it to shoot. So yeah. I've, I've said that time and time again, and a couple of comments out there. Uh, and we have another question, a couple of more questions coming up. First is uh, Shane Corson, our good friend out there. Uh, it says, uh, I've got a lot of respect for Dr. Hearn. Glad you have him on the show. And uh, well, I'd like to say thank you. And I was on his show um, yeah. a couple of years back. Shane's an awesome guy. Um, oh, I think we lost Dr. Hart. So we'll continue with the questions, but this has been a fascinating discussion and uh, I'm sure he'll just pop uh, back in. So oh, yeah. Yeah. that happens with the phones occasionally. It is. Yep. 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 But, uh, you know, well, it's kind I, of have, I am actually thrilled that we have a scientist that has actually had the privilege of witnessing one of these things. And that, that is so great, yeah. man. So great. No, the last scientist that I think, uh oh what's the uh the biologist uh, up in um i want to say he's either washington or uh oh god he's been on a few tv shows i haven't seen him in a while though he's been in a red-haired guy uh, no, no, no 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 he's a black-haired guy uh black-haired guy mustache um actually had an encounter while he was in a tent uh he was a, bi a field biologist oh, there he is sorry um I, there I we are him. i, I hit him <laughs> we're used to it <laughs> so there we go i don't want to fix i'm trying to rearrange we now can rearrange oh. the uh the tiles <laughs> so now we got you at the top <laughs> well 
normally during the show, I'm always looking from the left to the right because I'm checking out the chat and then looking at you guys. Now I'm having to do this too. So it's not only watching a, <laughs> a ping pong game, I'm also watching a, I don't know, a basketball bounce or something. <laughs> um, <coughs> all right. Uh, question from uh, Eman512 from Texas. Uh, he says, uh, how about Sierra Sounds? Do you have any opinions on those, if you've heard them or not? Uh, Ron Moorhead's uh, Sierra Sounds. Yeah. Um, I bought the uh, recordings and have, I guess that was several years ago, and listened to them. They do sound unique. They don't sound like any other animals I've ever heard. And that's about all I can say. Uh, you know, they, they could be the real thing. Um, they may well be. They um, don't sound like anything else I've heard out in the woods, day or night. We were we were talking uh, while you were off the air about another scientist who had a sighting because it's always refreshing to have a scientist who actually has yeah. seen one. Um, and uh, I was trying to think of the biologist's name. And thanks to Shane, it's John uh, Moisinski. Um, thanks, Shane. Yep, that, oh, yeah. that is exactly who I'm talking about, Shane. I knew you would come up with that. <laughs> um, so, uh, so uh, Mick says, considering that we can't be 100% positive, but we have a specimen of Sasquatch DNA, it would be difficult that against the human DNA. Okay, that wasn't a question, but um, okay. Uh, Tack, uh, our good friend Mike, so could you explain, uh, the good doctor explain what he saw in the face of the creature, what makes him lean towards human, just out of curiosity. Um, well, actually, my own personal sighting I did not see the face. It was angled away at um, 45 degrees, heading kind of diagonally away and looking the other way. But, of course, I've looked at the Patterson-Gimlin film many times, and that, um, I guess it's not just the face that makes me think that, but something that's walking on two feet. I mean, none of the apes do that for very long distances. Right. And so smart as to avoid us um, at will and only get in contact when it wants to. And I do think um, I've seen a couple of things, short DNA sequences. They seem to be close to human, but they weren't long enough to, to really make a positive call on that. Uh, it's yeah, I, I, I could be very wrong. Um, it's just kind of putting a bunch of little things together. They're all kind of circumstantial though. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it is amazing. We have so much circumstantial evidence. I mean, just now I know Chris, I'm going to, I'm going to, you probably want to ask this question, but I'm going to cut you off at the pass. I'm not talking about eye shine or ear oh, flutter. Okay. Okay. Right. Um, but do you think with the, the advent of eDNA, do you think that's going to help, um, you know, eDNA collection. Uh, do you think that's going to help us in our quest if we can get a hold of that technology? Well, I have uh, some pretty high hopes for that, actually. Um, I guess you're familiar with the uh, Gimlin, Gimel study, I mean, from New Zealand, where he went to Loch Ness and they sampled it uh, different depths, different times of the year, all around the lake. I think a couple hundred samples altogether. And they found um, 
DNA from every class of vertebrates, fish, reptiles, amphibians, mammals, and birds were all mm. in the water, some of which are, are not um, marine animals. They're, they're terrestrial animals, and their DNA obviously washed in uh, from streams and so on. And they found dozens of, of species, and the closest thing to a, a Loch Ness monster was, was the eel. But European eels um, typically only go to a couple of feet long. Uh, but some fish, you know, have uh, gigantic exceptions. Um, yeah. And it could be a large eel. Um, they found no new species per se. It right. was just a lot of eel DNA there, but that's it was known that there were eels in there. Of course, you have salmon and, you know, other fish, too. Yep. But I thought that um, and I'm working up a proposal. I'm, I'm trying, trying to work up something that somebody would with a laboratory would take seriously and collecting stream water in a, a, a watershed um, in different locations that would pretty well cover the drainage. And um, do the same technique, um, you know, wow, extracting it from the water. Right. Yeah, now, that would make a lot of sense. It does have other benefits in that if you're trying to get a feel for all the animals in an area, and, you know, you have anecdotal sightings, this and that, but you might discover some species you didn't know were there. So it, it's a good baseline for for um, an ecological study of, of the species that are present. And maybe even you could standardize it somehow, whether they're going up or down. And, yeah. you know, for example, something like the red wolf is thought to be possibly even extinct due to hybridization with coyotes. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, you might find some red wolf DNA in something like this. In the south, it's a more yeah. southern animal. So I, I think it's possible. It's a long yeah. shot, you know. Uh, just yeah. depends on what streams they pissed in, I guess, you know. <laughs> Something like that. Or whatever. Took a bath in. It's what you get are cells that slough off right. from a, an individual. It can be fecal matter. It can be urine. It could be just skin, this washing, blown off, hair, you know. And then uh, you, the DNA is extracted from that. But yeah, it's going to well, be degraded. Yeah. I, I would think that I would think that Washington, and particularly Texas and some of the watershed areas that you guys have, uh, you know, the, the, there's a lot of sightings that, that they're along the water, you know, in the water, grabbing either fish or other, other type of uh, edible sea uh, plants or, or creatures, or not sea, but water. Water plants or creatures? Um, yes. Actually, uh, the uh, in East Texas, there's a couple of rivers that there have been a lot of sightings along. Um, let's see. Which one is it? The, um, the uh, San Jacinto River. And let's see. I'm trying to think of the other one. I'll think of it in a minute. It goes through Lake Livingston. And then east in the Sabine River, you know? Yeah. Yep. Right. Yeah, and, they like and, to be near water, and, and yeah. I can understand why, you know, but um, I don't know. I think it's very, it 
I, I think it's very interesting, especially, you know, like all the waterways that connect from, they go down from Oklahoma down through East Texas and into Arkansas to the Falk area, those whole tributaries. I, I find that very fascinating that they seem to, to, to travel down there. And I remember going into, to Falk, Arkansas. It's one of the funniest things. I went into the monster Mart and um, there was a bunch of guys talking there and they, they saw my hat and they were like, Oh, you're not going to find them around this time. We got a drought. We we have no sightings when there's a drought. <laughs> Just like as a matter of fact. Yeah, it, it was like, wow, well, that, that's, you know, interesting that they would notice that. Um, and again, it, it, it's very true to how primates behave. It's like, okay, there's no water. They're going to move on to another place. Yeah. Uh, and you have the Sulphur River going through that area yep. and the Red River. And I'm trying to think there's another one too, but. But yeah, that's um, a promising place yeah. to collect some samples, I think. Absolutely. Uh, Mick asks, uh, what's Dr. Hart's opinion on different types of DNA collection kits? I don't know if that's yeah. too broad. Well, this, um, I don't have a laboratory, and I've never done um, a laboratory exper sequencing experiment myself. And so I would defer to people. Some of the professionals, the the contract labs or um, academics who actually do this in the lab for your answer, um, I, I can't give you a good answer. Um, there are water sampling systems, different kinds of filters. Some of them pump the water through the filter. Some of them you collect the water in a jar or something and pour it through a filter in a vacuum um, flask. And so if you're talking about eDNA, there's some possibilities there I've seen. You can look around on the internet and find them probably easily. Uh, as far as other test kits, um, well, basically you wanna, you want to, wipe, if, if it's something like blood or saliva or something, you wanna wipe it off with a, with a wet Q-tip and that will dissolve it more uh, than then put it in alcohol and uh, and or freeze it and that'll preserve it but there's all kind of variations there's some stuff that um, helps preserve it that you can add right away some lysing agents some the surfactants and so on uh, it's kind of like what they send you with the kits from um, from these labs that do your DNA for you they have a solution you, you, you stick the Q-tip in. And so, but yeah, try to find somebody who's actually doing this in the lab. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. I read about these, you know, but I can't really compare them. Uh, Tack asks if, uh, if, if there's a lab uh, that, that you recommend for DNA testing because he's sitting on some samples of hair. And I have seen those hairs too. Very interesting. Uh -huh. Well, I'll tell you what, I looked around a little bit, and um, the lab that Brian Sykes, Professor Sykes at Oxford used, is in Pennsylvania, I believe it is, and they have published some papers. Terry Melton is the, uh, the contact there, and she published a paper with some others where they took old forensic hair samples, uh, where the case is over and the uh, cops gave them to them 
just to see what they can do. And they were able to get mitochondrial DNA out of little snips of hair less than one centimeter long. Wow. Cool. And so I think they know how to do this. They also sequenced his 30 samples uh, that Sykes had in his study, right. uh, one of which was one of Ketchum's, and it turned out to be the black bear, just like I thought. And there was no contamination. They have a, a, a method. They, they wash in alcohol, not water. I'm sorry. They wash in water, not alcohol. And they ultrasonicate these hair samples and get all the external DNA off of them. And then the good stuff is on the inside and doesn't come out till you um, do another process of breaking it up. And so um, they know what they're doing. And I talked to her and I think, I think for um, the 12 SRNA um gene that they sequence for Sykes. I think she was quoting me in the $1,300 range. Um, okay. So, you know, it could, it's affordable if you, if you really want to do it. Um, I'll tell you what you should do first though. And I've come into this later, um, but looking at these in, in the trans in the transmission optical microscope, the so-called compound biological microscope can really eliminate a lot of other common animals. If Ketchum had done this competently, they did it, but they had some guy that didn't recognize it. I, I recognized it as immediately a, a black bear, the, the hair picture in her paper. It's un, it's in, you know, it's unmistakable and you can eliminate a deer, a bear, it's quite different. Um, and primates have very little medulla in the center, and it's it's interrupted. It's not continuous, and it's very thin compared to the overall diameter. And you know, at least you can say it looks like a primate before you spend money on sequencing. Right. And you can do one of these microscopes. I, mine costs less than less than three hundred dollars before tax, and then I got accessories, so I maybe spent four hundred dollars and. It's just, I, I would not do anything with a hair without looking at it first. Heck, now now they even have like the hundred dollar ones you plug into a computer, yeah, and, that's and you can take a picture of it. And yeah. if you have any doubts, you can take a picture of it and send it to somebody like that's Dr. Right. Hart or Dr. Meldrum or or Kathy Strain is another source I use, you know. Well, to uh, say, yeah, uh, the best one out there on the coast that I know is in British Columbia. It's uh, Cindy Dosen, okay, who is yeah. part of the Olympic project. Yes. Yeah, She's done the most that I know of anybody. She's much more experienced than I am. Um, okay. She can she writes a whole report about it and everything. So you can get her attention. Lately, people say that's difficult. But, <laughs> but anyway, if you're doing hair, you got to look at it for such um, yeah. Otherwise, you could be wasting your time. You cannot tell uh, with the naked eye. Uh, the difference of some of these things, you know, because even humans have different diameter hairs depending on where in the body it came from and which individual, what the race was, and yep. so on. So you can't even identify a human one by looking at it for sure. Well, you know, I always found the the interesting thing is that um, 
I've seen hair, and I remember plucking, getting a hair out of a stump, and I remember looking at the hair, and I just pulled out the magnifying glass, and I could see it was a red hair with a black tip, and I automatically knew that this is not a primate hair because they don't, you know, delineate like that unless they're dying their hair. But, um, but it was very clear it, to me. It looked like it was probably a fox hair, and I was yeah, like, okay, that would be one possibility. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, but definitely it wasn't wasn't a primate like hair. It was too short. It was more like a fur than a, than a, mm-hmm. a, a hair sampling yeah. or a fur coat rather than that. Um, and, and and yeah, yeah, I've seen some stuff like, you know, I I'm kind of puzzled because you know there was even reports that like the whole FBI thing with with Peter Byrne sending the hair in, and it, it turned out to be deer. Yeah, <laughs> or, and yeah. it was like. Why didn't they catch that before they even sent it? You know, to me, That's it's right. they didn't look uh, under yeah. a microscope. You have to look under a microscope I'll, yeah. I'll, because that um, with the transmission microscope, you will see the medulla in the center. And by adjusting the intensity of the light and possibly even using a, a dark field lens, you will bring out the details of that medulla, and that is the most distinguishing feature of the hair, the medulla. The yeah. next would be the scales on the outside, you know, the, the follicle. And um, so uh, these are easy to do. You can make an image of that outside in, in just a nail polish remover. And you, you uh, well, I guess you know, it's colorless nail polish. You just stick the hair on it, and when it dries, you rip it off, and it leaves an image of the outside of the hair. It's very oh. simple. Wow. Okay. Cool. Um, wow. man, I I like, like, uh, well, <laughs> as always, I I said you know learned this in the last three or four uh, years, and uh, you know I got I got enough experience collecting samples that. I won't be fooled by a black bear. That's that's for sure. You know, one of the other things too that that as somebody who who you know has experience in forensic collect, and I do. I, I mean, I, I've been an investigator. I've had to forensically collect different pieces of evidence here and there. And uh, it started with my, my brother was a police officer who was actually a fingerprint expert. He was the guy who mm. you know did all the printing. And uh, now I, I've learned that they get. DNA from fingerprints. Yes. And I mean, I'm wondering that if you take a cast and, and, you know, a fresh cast anyway, and do a quick eDNA off of it, if we would get any DNA off a footprint or we would get any DNA Mm -hmm. off a finger, you know, people claim that, you know, there's a handprint on the, uh, on the, the side of a house or on the glass or on the, on the, on the car or whatever. I'm wondering if we can get DNA off of that before we even print it. Yes. Uh, I know that they, they have done that with human fingerprints and the techniques these days are so good at amplifying the DNA to get many, many billions of more copies in just a couple of hours. Um, They keep duplicating it by amplification procedure. And so you don't need too much. And, uh, Especially if you don't have a lot of contaminants, it, it can uh, give you plenty to, to sequence. And that's so one thing. I'll tell you what, in a footprint, though, rather than mix it with all, all your plaster or whatever you're using, the, um, I would just collect the dirt 
and and extract wow. it. And this is what Meldrum was doing up there in Washington State with those nests, you know. Right, right. And they never found anything that was promising, um, from what I've heard. I haven't seen anything written, but you may right. know more about it. I wonder, you know, it kind of makes me wonder whatever happened to that nail, the board with the nail that got stepped on. Okay. Back in, in Vancouver Island. Remember well, that? Well, the nail that I recall was in Ontario. Yeah. Was it? At um, Snellgrove Lake. That's it, not Vancouver. Snellgrove Lake. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you the latest I've heard on that. I looked around a, a bit and. Um, it was sent to a guy at the University of Minnesota, I think it was. Uh, it sounds like Dr. Kurt Nelson. Yes, that's yep. him. Yep. Actually, it went to Dissatel uh, first, and he found that there was something interfering with his analysis. Um, and Nelson was able to figure that out. It was the iron and zinc in the, in, in the um, galvanized nail that had... Uh, leached out and interfered with the sequencing react the amplification reactions. So he was able to eliminate that, and he got something. Um, I, I I don't remember how long his sequence was. It wasn't very long, but it had like one unusual mutation that is also found in chimpanzees. But wow. I think he even agreed that there wasn't enough sequence a long enough sequence to draw any conclusion because you can have a random mutation you know mm -hmm. and just one isn't going to prove it you, you need a long sequence with several of these differences that you can point to and we, like i said we have like the greatest audience so we have some questions and some comments too that are coming okay. in that you can comment on that Great. um uh, Eman five uh, tx uh, says, thanks for answering my questions. Some of the earlier questions. Does the doctor think there's a cover-up going on like the guy from How to Hunt thinks? And uh, as you know, there's this guy by the name of Steve Isdale out there, uh, How to Hunt, who mm. has been spewing the, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, embracing the Ketchum study and uh, the, the Patterson massacre theory. And he's saying there's a this huge cover up, and that we're all part of this cover up, which is kind of ridiculous. But yeah, uh, well, um, Melba Kitchen said I'm either a uh, paid government agent or a quack, and um, that's her her view. She thinks that we're all involved in a conspiracy because that. You know, we so you're, you're, the, you're, the, you're a government, yeah. you're a government agent supposedly trying to yeah. knock down her study, but yet you're yeah. admitting to seeing a Bigfoot. Yeah. Well, I'm glad I put the chapter in the, in the book there just to let everybody know I'm trying to be uh, as objective as possible here, but um, yeah, yeah. you know. And uh, so anyway, that I think that's just a convenient way to dismiss the scientific evidence and focus. That's what Scott Carpenter did in his book. It's all about conspiracies and um, people trying to keep her work from being published and and the nature reviewers. By the way, I've gone in detail through the nature peer reviews and the other journal peer reviews 
And by the way, I didn't know about them until after I had done a lot of my work. And I agree with every one of their 16 points. And I came to the same conclusions independently. Wow. So I think from my point of view, they were fair and they were justified and scientific about it. And that's another chapter in the book you, you might be interested in. So, um, you know, I think conspiracies are easy to charge and hard to prove. And yeah, include uh, all the famous ones about Kennedy's death and everything, you know. It's I, easy I, to come up with something, but hard to prove. Well, I, I think it's a cop-out, truthfully. It, it's a cop-out. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, it's a conspiracy. Mm-hmm. You know. Sure. You know. Yeah. Um, you know, but, and, and I kind of funny, kind of funny, funny. She's calling you the quack, but she's the one who's saying that Bigfoot's braiding her horse's hair. <laughs> well, yeah. you know, yeah. I, I really, to be honest, I had high hopes for the Mel, uh, the Melba Ketchum study when, 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 uh, it was first being talked about and she was working on it and it was in the works. And I was like, Oh, finally, we've got somebody that's going to do the work. And then after it came out, you know, there was a lot of stuff in there that talks about uh, uh, religious icons and things. I mean, uh, at, you know, the uh, what was it? The the giants from the Bible or something. And oh, yeah. Uh, Nephilim, um, Nephilim, whatever you call them. Yeah. Nephilim. I, I, yeah, that's, it, that's it. And I'm like, wait a minute. That's, that's not science. That's she's just dived off into opinion right there. And, yeah. uh, you know, there, there's no way that she could get that from the DNA results. Because <laughs> I don't think we had the well, the Nephilim uh, DNA sequence on file anywhere that I know of. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's it, true. That's very true. And, um, of course, we don't have any reference sequence like all the right. other species in these databases. Right. But yeah. nevertheless, if you have an unknown species and you have a a long enough sequence and you compare it to enough other species you can you can construct this phyto tree that shows where that species lines up in the tree of evolution and if it's deeply embedded in the primates um you can be sure it's a primate it's not a dog or a cat or something else and this is what i found with her samples number 26 it was Deeply embedded in the bears, just where a black bear should be. And the other one, the dog, the same thing. And I've got these phyllo trees that compare them to other carnivores. And it's pretty, pretty tight. You you can't argue with it because not only does it compare with, say, the bears in the case of sample 26, but it also has the correct relationship to all these other species for a bear to have, you know, so that's the way to do it. Her phyllo trees. Well, one of them had primates. That's fine. And the, another one had fish. It had, um, a carp, 25 species of bony fish and a couple of dozen sharks and a chicken and a mouse and a human. I mean, it, it, those are not, that's not a phyllo tree of primates, you know, right. and those are not the primates nearest relatives. Um, and the other one had nothing but mice and humans. I mean, of all the 
primates that it should be related to nothing, just a human right. and, and a moose. So wow. they didn't know how to do phyllo uh, trees and their data wouldn't have supported their thesis as I showed. And um, the other sample, number 31, was human. And I believe that's the one that um, shows the more primate phyllo tree, even though um, she has it identified as another sample. So I, you know, it's, it's such a mess. I just, well, you know, like, like I said, our, you know, our audience is rocking tonight. So we got a ton okay. of more questions. <laughs> okay, I'll try to talk less and, and answer. The no, questions. no, that's, that's fine. You know, it, it's, that makes my job easier. <laughs> okay. All right. So uh, from Shane Corson, what are Dr. Hart's thoughts on DNA work on the collection of ticks in an area where sighting has occurred or an area where something substantial has occurred in regards to a Sasquatch? Good question. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not as familiar with that work. I have heard of it generally that um, of course they eat, you know, they suck blood. And in that blood would be DNA of, of the species that bit. But I don't know how long it lasts, um, whether you got to get a really fresh um, tick, yeah. sample from a bug that just bit something, how long it lasts in their body, because I'm sure, it, uh, you know, it degrades eventually. Um, it's a possibility. I mean, the whole uh, Jurassic Park thing was based on something. Yeah, mosquito. Um, yeah. You know that's fiction, but it's it's not out of the realm of possibility. Oh. Hmm. Um, uh, I don't know that Dr. much about about it, though. Doctor Hart, I was you must have been reading my mind because I was sitting here thinking about that. I was going to tell Shane. Yeah, man, you remember that movie where they made the dinosaurs from the blood they found in yeah. mosquitoes? Yeah. <laughs> the ancient mosquitoes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. that is kind uh, of interesting. Uh, maybe maybe we could make a Sasquatch. You know. Now, now, Mick, Mick, our good friend Mick, he's going to complicate things right now. Uh oh. Can Doctor Hart comment on the possibility the existence of a dogman, considering that canine and hominid <laughs> DNA are incompatible? Well, I don't think that's going. Yeah, um, well, they're pretty different. Um, <laughs> I found that out just just by doing some some comparisons. Um, dog man, I, I don't know. Melba thinks it exists. She said one of them raped one of her horses. Oh, geez. So you better talk to her on that one. I, I, I don't know much about that. And, and who's calling who the cat? The quack? It seems a bit far-fetched, but, um, yeah. I don't know. Well, we, Mix uh, also says my ex's meatloaf is proof of, proof of random mutations. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, Mick is Mick is ragging on the X's, uh, uh, um, uh, ragging on the X's uh, meatloaf again. <laughs> I don't uh, think meatloaf is supposed to glow in the dark. Um, Mick, Mick and the meatloaf. <clears throat> right, yeah, yeah, Mick. You know, my my ex wife was such a bad cook. We used to have. We I bought her a pressure cooker. We used to have to eat off the ceiling. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh. uh now, this question's from Media Palace. Does doctor does the doctor think that Todd Standing is a hoaxer? <laughs> yes, I do. Um, you know, I don't I don't follow that too much. But when it came out with, um, I guess he took Meldrum on one of his expeditions and 
kind of convinced him. But um, overall, I think I think a lot of that is is hoaxed. Yep. It just the pictures are just too close to some other costumes and things. I, I you know, yeah, they don't seem genuine. Uh, yeah, that, one of the things according what? according to the evidence, anyway, it's it's all this stuff is hoaxing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the some of the, the the stuff, it's it's pretty. I mean, you got three headshots, and all three look different. I don't know. Um, I mean, I think Sasquatch are dimorphic, as you know, all primates are, but I don't think they're that quite dimorphic. Um, We're not so, going to talk about the gorilla hands tonight, are we? No, oh, no, 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 gor- no gorilla hands. Okay, and another uh, time. It, and Ken Gerhard commented on that he's a showman. <laughs> hey, Ken. Wow. <laughs> oh. So, Doc, Doc, uh, can you just remind our audience what you know is needed in your basic 101 DNA collection kit? I'm out there doing research. What should I be carrying in a, in a DNA kit? You know, just for the basics. Right. Well, as far as uh, protecting it from contamination, of course, you need some gloves. Um, a mask is good. And I would even, you know, if you're really serious and, and worried about hair, you could put on one of these doctor's caps, you know, kind of keep your hair out of the picture. Um, I don't and think I have a problem with that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm losing mine pretty bad, too. But here, uh, it depends on kind of sample you're looking for, you know. Um, you just need to use forensic techniques, and they're pretty well described around in literature. Um, but then uh, what you do next can make a difference, too. You need to preserve the sample either in uh, ethanol, which is ethyl alcohol, right. and or uh, freeze it and get it to the laboratory and then the experts and sequencing will know what to do from there. But it, it is important because the stuff will degrade uh, on a day, on a day scale basis, you know, so uh, preserving it immediately is, is important. And, um, you know, just um, use some sterile um, <coughs> containers um, and gloves and stuff. And, um, you know, it it just depends on the sample, uh, but yep. those are the basics. Um, DNA is insoluble in alcohol, so that'll just preserve. It kills all the bugs and stuff so that um, it won't get degraded. Um, now, interestingly, Melba Ketchum used alcohol to wash her uh, hair samples, and that's not good because it won't dissolve the external DNA. It's water. That's the best for that. And I think she used water and alcohol, but I sure wouldn't wash with alcohol. That's for preserving it. Gotcha. Now, uh, one of the things too is, is that, you know, like, like I said, if somebody comes across like a blood on blood on a leaf or a branch, I always tell people, don't try to collect the blood off the branch snip the branch and collect the whole branch. And that, that would be a lot easier than, than, or you get blood on, on a leaf or say dirt, collect, you know, 
collect the area if it's a solid piece like a stone collect the whole stone don't try to transfer the blood off the stone take the whole stone and and that way you know you have the you have a lot of sample there if, it, if it's um yeah well I, uh, the thing is um if you can get it to somebody who's experienced in getting it off of whatever substrate right. you have it's it's better that way to you know not fumble in the field with something you're not as familiar with yep. and how to dissolve the blood, but not get all the other crap with it. And yeah, cutting off a leaf and sticking it in one of these vials and immersing it in alcohol would be the safest thing. Yep. And, and, and let, let somebody who knows how to do this, do, yep. do the tricky part. And please, please, please do not put your DNA evidence in a plastic bag. Because the yeah. humidity and the humidity and that will kill it, so yeah. uh, always paper. Yeah, yeah, that's not good enough. No, no. And um, so, so those are just basic things. I mean, I've you can read about this elsewhere and get a little more detail. So, uh, Eman asks, says uh, if you've heard of the area X or the Brushy Creek area in Central Texas. Brushy Creek sounds familiar, but I, I swear I can't recall any details there. What part of Texas is it? Probably East Texas, huh? He said Central. Looks like Central. Oh, Central. Oh. Well, I live in Central Texas, more or less, South Central. Um, I'd like to know where that is. Um, no, I haven't really. Not and there's no two. Uh, Shelly Covington Manitana sells DNA collection kits for researchers. So we can, if anybody's on the, on the book, you can reach out to her and check it out. Yeah. Um, she's done a lot of research on how to do this. And, um, she, that's right. I, I've seen the kits and they're very complete and, um, that'll get you started. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and, like I say, DNA collection, all you need is, is one of the things I always tell people too. if you call anytime you collect also, and this is from an investigator standpoint is and uh, like I say, when we're in the field. We're not the scientists. Our, our job as investigators and re and researching this stuff, we need to uh, think about what we do. I've always said that, you know, as an investigator, I collect evidence to give to, the prosecutors or the attorneys or whatever to go to court. And my job in this field is to collect the evidence and give it to the scientists to prove what they need to prove or disprove what they need to prove. So, you know, keep yourself out of the, the, the bias of it, let the chips fall where they may. But at the very least, some gloves, I, I don't think masks are hard to find now <laughs> with all this yeah. COVID stuff. I mean, maybe, yeah. You know, maybe maybe a year ago, like, yeah, okay, I gotta buy a mask. Now everybody's got them pretty much. So you have a you have a yeah. mask, and in some cases you have multiple. You know, so take a mask, take a pair of, of, of nitro gloves, uh, and a paper bag, and you have everything you need to collect a piece of evidence. Basically, take it, put it in the bag, log it, picture it before you take it from all angles. Uh, Tack made a great point earlier. Uh, if you have one of these 3D scanning programs on your phones and you get a track and you want to collect a dirt for DNA collection, scan the print very carefully so you have a 3D picture of the, the print, mm -hmm. collect your dirt into the bag, you're good to go. So all of that it can be done very easily, very cheaply, uh, not overcomplicated. 
And uh, that's what we mm-hmm. need to, to practice on. Too many times we're, we're gawking at things too much. You got to treat it like a crime scene. Keep everybody out. Only one person should go in. Make sure you're properly PPE'd for it or, you know, wearing your personal protective equipment. Go in, collect it, bag it, tag it, and uh, log it. And then you pass it well, off to the next person. That, one of the things is, yeah, the, the cost of having that DNA sample processed is is expensive and it's been my hope that as uh, the the science advances it'll get cheaper you know now i don't know if dr hart knows this um in very early portions of and this is when i started having some of the concerns about the ketchum study how much was dr ketchum charging for the dna tests on the stuff anybody know i may have a it was um it was, 25, it was twenty. It was twenty five hundred dollars. Well, and for, she would have the first submitter, huh? For the she charged the submitters that amount. Correct. Uh huh. I did not know. Would, yep, and they would have to sign this draconian agreement that they will be sent the results of the tests, but they don't own the results of the test. Yeah. That they can't talk about the results of the test. Yeah. That basically everything was shredded. So I'm paying you to do this, but you're telling me, okay, if it's Bigfoot or not, but I can't say if it's Bigfoot or not. So to me, the whole thing was quite draconian. And believe it or not, I had gotten that um, that uh, retainer from uh, J.C. Johnson when he was alive because he was yeah. part of that project for a while. Right. Now, I didn't know she charged the submitters. I do know that, um, you know, she was also funded by uh, Wally Hurson. Mm-hmm. Um, well, he was paying know, for some of the submitters. Yep. Yeah, I did not know that. Okay. And that's um, that's a pretty hefty price. I mean, I, I, I don't have enough other examples to say whether it's oh. overpriced or not, but, but you can, you can get a commercial analysis for, probably a little less than that. Um, and, but you gotta, you gotta know a little bit about this so you can ask the right questions and make sure that we do the right thing. Well, I see, I always thought, you know, at least back then, you know, 10 years ago when all, you know, at the start of all this, I thought, okay, 2,500, it's not that bad. I mean, that was, I think that was like the going rate. It was around that, that target price. So that didn't seem too high, high for me. Excuse me, but the, the 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 fact that she would charge people submitting this for her study, you know, to me yeah. that that just it doesn't ring right. You're gonna you're gonna take my yeah. sample, you're gonna call it your own, or you're gonna call it mine, but yeah. in the study, but you're gonna turn around and claim the results as your own, you know. Well, a commercial lab gives you total rights to the results to do whatever you want with them. Right. And I think they'll even agree not to share them with anybody else. Um, you know, so it's a completely reversed situation. Um, I'm surprised because she got a lot of funding from uh, Wally Hurson and I think Eric, uh, Adrian Erickson, too, but that she would even be charging people. But I'm not again, when I think about it, I guess I'm not so surprised. Hey, uh, so while we're on it, what do you think of the Matilda photos? Well, they look fake to me, but you know, again, I'm not, I'm not an expert. I think somebody like, um, Bill Munns, who wrote a book about the, uh, the, uh, Patterson film and 
he's he's a uh, a Hollywood makeup and costume artist and uh, analyzes the motions of of the animal in the Patterson Gimlin film and compares them with what you could do with a costume. Somebody like that would would have to speak, and I think he has, and I forgot what his conclusion was. I don't know. It just looks too much like some costumes that other people have made, you know. Um, I'm actually, but I can't. I you know, I'm not an expert in that. I can't really be definitive. That's just my feeling. Uh, I just don't believe it. Yeah, that was with uh, you know Munns. Uh, yeah, put up as you know, partly in the Matilda photos that to him uh, it looked like uh, a Chewbacca costume. Which yeah. when you start when you start including those into uh, into the study, uh, that really. Um, I, I mean, I remember one remark um, that was made uh, about the study from one of the the peer reviews, and it was said that you know the first like five minutes of or the first you know like five pages were were wall on you know stuff that wasn't necessary you know the matilda photo and this and that yeah and and yeah. they were really it was like she was almost trying to pitch the the existence of a sasquatch you know before the evidence came out well and, um sometimes an introduction will take you a little bit far afield just to Put, put it in proper perspective. Right. Um, but, you know, it should, I thought she went a little too far. And um, that fo that video of the, I could never see the head on that thing, you know, the creature that moved on the ground that was sleeping. Oh, um, yeah. It, 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 it's hard to believe, I, you know. If you got that close to it, why didn't you wait till it woke up and get a picture of its face? Yeah. Yeah. Or pull some hair off it or something. Um, so, so here is the big, the big topic of, of the whole thing too, and something we kind of steered away, but we want to get back to it. And we got about twenty six minutes left to show um, to go. So let's uh, let me pop this up. Uh, the Justin Smeha Bigfoot steak. Yeah, that's her sample twenty six, the one I showed to be a black bear. Right. And that, it was, she did nuclear DNA on it and also mitochondrial DNA. And the mitochondrial was kind of a mixture of um, two different human haplogroups, I believe, from what I could tell. Um, so, And one of them was Justin Smeza's haplogroup, and then the other one was different. But it had a couple of unique mutations that are not found in humans together and very rarely even one of them. And they are found more often in primates. And I have a chapter on that too. I think it's about 16 on unusual extra mitochondrial DNA mutations. And so that sample though, the bulk of it was a bear. It could have been, well, here's a scenario. The Sasquatch was killed by the shooting, but it went some distance and wasn't found. Then two bears fought over it, getting a DNA all over them. And in the process, one of them uh, tore a bit of flesh off the other one. And that's what Smasia found because the bear DNA showed it was more than one bear 
Um, yeah. And beers come in contact with one another, just like people. And and so um, there are uh, indications in the what they call the microsatellite loci that that there's more than one bear in that sample too. And so you know you can imagine a bunch of things, but there are some unusual human mutations too, a couple. And so. Um, it could be contaminated with Sasquatch, but there's not enough evidence to prove that. Gotcha. So, you know, when Dr. Sykes said that, you know, he can considered that that sample was a bear. Uh, yeah, was that, we was that looked at one hair? Okay. And the hair I'm sure was a bear. Um, uh, actually he was, uh, he got the blood, the bloody boots. Yeah. But he I don't think we were able to extract DNA from that. From what I heard, that was unsuccessful. Hmm. I've heard another version, but I've heard him say twice, I think, that they couldn't get the... It was on a BBC program, and he's sitting down with Justin Spasia. He said, unfortunately, I couldn't get I couldn't get any amplifiable DNA. Right. So what okay, he gotcha. analyzed in his paper, though, was a hair. Right. That came that from... Yeah, I, I know a lot of our, our audience here, uh, here. We had interviewed Smeha probably a year after the event with the driver, and somehow the story mutated a little bit uh, since his appearance on Bigfoot Bounty, where he actually choked the one out instead of it dying in his arms like he first claimed. Then he said he choked it out. And um, <coughs> so there's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of people that do not believe his story. That's um, right. Uh, and, <laughs> well, yeah. according to Scott Carpenter's uh, reproduction of the of the polygraph test, he he passed forty different questions on this subject, and two of them I've got in my book, and um, they relate to whether or not that sample that he found uh, was the exact same sample that was cut and sent to Melba Ketchum and to Tyler Huggins and Bart Cucino, who did independent analyses on it. And he passed that, but of course, polygraph isn't 100%. They say it's about 89% accurate. And the, uh, the, there, was a big, there was a big question about the polygraph examiner herself, too. She fell under a lot of controversy as well. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, she had actually uh, took an online course to become a polygraph examiner. Mm. And uh, she's using something, I guess, polygraph mm. in a box. That was the, the, mm. uh, the software. So it was a little... Um, there was a little, you know, questioning about, and, you know, Ken Gerhard made a good point too. A sociopath can also pass a polygraph test. Yeah. Some people are good at it. Um, yeah. it is, a, it is a skill that some people can have. Right. Um, and I don't know. Yeah. You can't really say for sure whether he was telling the truth or not, but anyway, yeah. it's a piece of information. Yeah. <clears throat> uh Oh, so, who else we got? More questions. <laughs> Joni, uh, I, I think you ought to get this book by Dr. Hart. <laughs> You'll understand scientifically why it's not real. Uh, anyway. Well, uh, you know, the evidence is real, but her conclusions about the evidence yeah. 
The evidence is really, it really came from a, you know, like the, the hair JC, you know, submitted came from a pipe inside a pipe. There was some blood or something inside a pipe. Um, but yeah, I mean, this gets so, uh, you know, people will follow, you know, uh, people like, you know, it, it turned out to me that it seemed like, um, it, it seems like that. Uh, people like Melba, you know, have created these stories around the study to gain this cult following. And, you know, a cult following is exactly that, a cult. Uh, you know, I don't think that any one of her rock-solid supporters that are standing next to her today um, are going to change their minds by any means. Uh, neither will any of the 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 uh, the juggernauts, such as, you know, a Standing or a Rick Dyer or any of those Folks, you know, if you're going to stand next to those person and espouse uh, their stuff, um, it's not steeped in science. And, and, and that's why I had Dr. Hart on today. So, um, you know, here's a man with no agenda except let me take an uh, independent look at this. And he came out the exact same results as the rest of the people who peer reviewed it. All the same problems. Right. Um. I, I don't know how many times that if you sit there and say the sky is green and 5,000 people turn around and say, no, the sky is blue and you insist the sky is green. <laughs> it's, it's, it's time to, to get a, a better filter. That's yeah. all I, I, I can suggest to people um, because in no way, uh, you know, I've looked at it. I've seen, you know, why is everything about, why is everything about the Ketchum study mired in controversy? Uh, there wasn't with the Sykes case. Uh, there wasn't with the Sykes book. Uh, there's not here. It's just everything is straightforward here. You know, it's amazing, too, how every sample that Melba had was a Sasquatch. There Was there any that she excluded from the study that said that there wasn't? it wasn't a Sasquatch? You know that, Doctor Hart, off the top of your head? Well, well, it's very interesting. Her um, num table number one has all the samples that were presumably analyzed in the study, and fortunately, a good number of them never appeared in the paper anywhere. So I don't know what happened there. Um, and you know, if you go out in the woods and collect 111 hair samples just randomly over many states and even Canada. Would you really expect them all to come out as a Sasquatch? Um, oh, yeah. Wouldn't you think some might be something else, like a bear, right. yeah. a deer, a bison, a rat, a fox, or whatever? It yeah. just it isn't very probable. If they were that common, we'd have probably solved the problem a long time ago if there were that many of them, you know? Yeah. yeah. That just doesn't add up. And, uh, yeah. There are many other things that I address in the book. It's kind of hard to explain them all here without using tables and figures. But sure. um, I am open for uh, questions and answers. I've I've reinstituted my membership in the Bigfoot Forum, so there's a uh, uh, a link, a topic on 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 my book, and people are invited to ask questions or challenge anything i welcome that so have at it yeah yeah exactly 
<clears throat> yeah, well, I, I, I think uh, I want to thank you for coming on tonight, Dr. Hart. Uh, it, it was awesome. I know we, we got kind of a late start, but, uh, you know, the information you put forth today, uh, you know, pound for pound, great information and definitely gives us a clearer picture of what was wrong with the Ketchum study. And again, uh, folks out there, it's now available in, in print edition as well, not just Kindle edition. Uh, go to Amazon.com, Google Haskell v. Hart. Remember the heart because in Haskell v. Uh, that way it doesn't get mixed up with anybody else. Uh, the Sasquatch Genome Project, a failed DNA study. If you even Google that, it'll probably come up with the Amazon thing. So yeah. go out there and, and grab that. That's going to be a great read. And th what I love about books about scientists too, Dr. Hart, is they make great references. Yeah, <laughs> they make great reference. I mean, I I keep all, I you know, I I got Doctor Krantz's books, Doctor Meldrum's books, book, and you know, if I need a reference, I go to those books because, and maybe with the exception of Ivan Sanderson, because he has a lot of earlier dated stuff. Yeah. Well, I, I will say this: that I think um, every research group, if you have a group of people that go out together and stuff, somebody ought to be familiar with. Uh, looking at hair under a microscope yep. and identifying species. You can buy samples or you can, I pick them up off the road kills, you know, um, yeah. I do a whole bunch of different animals right around my house. And so, and another person ought to be familiar with some of these DNA issues, which I address in the conclusion and throughout the book. Um, not everybody needs to be up on that, but if you're going to submit samples, uh, you need to know a little bit about this. Otherwise, you might not get back what you thought you paid for. And I don't I'm not saying there's any uh, intent to deceive. But I mean, if you don't at least talk the scientist's language a little bit, um, it, it's very hard to be sure that he understands exactly what you're trying, because there are different ways to analyze these samples with different primers, different goals different objectives. And so somebody needs to know a little about that. And I hope the book would, would help. Right. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> what about the mid tarsal break? Well, that, that wrong doctor, Adam, <laughs> wrong doctor, yeah. Dr. Belgium. And I meant to mention another, another good book to reference and books uh, that are written good to reference is by this guy too, Ken Gerhard. So, yeah. Yeah, and, know, that uh, last one was uh, a great uh, Bigfoot uh, overall covering of the subject and the sightings and things. Um, yeah, I agree. I have it. He gave me one. <laughs> jo jo Joni is Joni is still trying to make her argument, I think, because she says, P.S. I've talked to Melba. My condolences. I've talked to her, too. And uh, I have one one quote. Fairy knots. Fairy knots. Mm. Look mm. that term up. Look what it does to horses' hairs. Devil's knots, fairies' knots, witches' knots. Well, we're and, not saying that Melba is a bad person or anything. It's just like the evidence that she put forth, her conclusions were wrong. But and, as a scientist, but Chris, as right. a scientist, she should be no better and be more objective. Well, that's my see, that's point. the thing. Okay. When she was first started doing it, I was one of the followers. I was like, all right, you know, Melba's going to do a great job. And then, but when she got to the point when this religious stuff came out, 
that that was the edge of a cliff. Okay, she went off this cliff, mm-hmm. and I'm standing there looking at the edge of the cliff, and I decided I'm going to back <laughs> away because there's no way that you can you can have biblical well, stuff come from DNA. Okay, I'm sorry, Chris. This goes this stuff goes way beyond that though, between the Bigfoots not braiding her horse's hair because yeah. she woke up one morning and all the hair was knotted. That's yeah. because there's such a thing as fairy knots, devil's knots, witches' right. knots. They're not, uh, you know. Now we got a kooky story out there. Somebody said it braided their American flag. Oh my lord! Um, I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> but but let's go back to Melba all of a sudden losing consciousness, waking up with her pants unbuckled, and now claiming she's had some sort of an experience. She believes a Sasquatch did it to her in her mind or whatever. You, you know, uh, where, where, I mean, that's just some of the, the, the background noise. Let's go back to the beginning here. She's claiming she got published and then she was outed by journalists saying that she owned the publication. And that was the only, so of course she, she's claiming she, she made a claim and she got caught on it. Yeah. You know, she got caught on it. Um, to me, uh, uh, I got published me, on my website too, you know, anytime yeah. I want to update it. Um, you know, to me, and and then we go into the stuff like Scott Carpenter does saying, Oh, nobody ever looked at this. Some a scientific, well, if that's not true, not only did Dr. Hart do it, but what about the people that peer reviewed it? Right. Okay. And we, we run automatically to, it's a conspiracy. Yes. I'm sure Dr. Hart, myself, and a bunch of other people got together and said, we're going to tear down this study. Well, what would the purpose of that be? Men in black. You know, if you have a conspiracy theory, if you have a conspiracy, it's got to have a legitimate conclusion. You know, like like yeah. there's, you know, you look at the JFK conspiracy. That at least has kind of a legitimate conclusion that this was either done by mob or the government or, you know, the, 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 the Cubans or whatever. At least that has some some logical conclusion that they're working towards throwing out an abstract such as this is a conspiracy amongst Bigfoot researchers and scientists to, to shoot down the Ketchum study. Well, there's no conclusion. Why would they do that? Well, and then they get into, well, it's jealousy. Oh, hand me another one, you know, hand me another one. You know, uh, the fact is it's egotism uh, on, on the other side is that here's the study, I'm putting it up for peer review, and when people poo-pooed it, when the scientists looked at it and said, no, it doesn't stand, she insisted like an impetuant child and went out and got her own little uh, journal and then tried to make a claim and got caught. Uh, You know, and then, yeah, to me, it just, nice person, I, I, uh, I don't know. You can't claim that Dr. Hart is a men in black government agent uh, sit here to uh, to make everybody believe that there is no Bigfoot, you know, no. because he Thank fights. You, I've seen one. <laughs> I'm, still wait- I'm still waiting for my check. Well, I'm, I'm <laughs> you know, and he's not sitting there with dark sunglasses. He doesn't right. have a white a white shirt and tie on. Right. And he doesn't and he doesn't have the thing up there where he okay, look into this. We're gonna make. <laughs> well, I um, I was disappointed at what I found. I was hoping that this would, her study would solve this mystery for once and for all. And wow. in the process, I'd learn some things about DNA and sequences matching and identifications. And 
Well, I did learn that, but um, I was I was disappointed. I had no uh, skin in this game. I I came into it with an open mind, and I um, I still have an open mind. And any any of my claims in the book can be checked. I mean, I give enough information that if somebody wants to, they can go and use this blast program against the government database and and see what they find. You know, and I led yeah. somebody through this over the phone in fact yeah. um you know it's just to me it, it's just amazing and and the people that support melba well i'm not saying you're bad but please put a better filter on uh you know if you're out for the truth if you're out for science you know put a better filter on because melba turned out being laughed at you know you look at her press conference and you know, oh, she's having this big press conference and she stands up and she spends 15 minutes, you know, trying to dress down the scientific community, trying to dress down other Bigfoot researchers, saying how they're jealous and this and that and the other thing. Sorry, you know, that's not the way to win a crowd over. You know, right. uh, yeah, yeah, the thing about the science is, uh, you know, once you have your results and if they're verifiable, uh, that's all nothing else need be said. You know, but, you know, I said this very early on. If you looked at the the interviews with uh, Richard Stubstad, who was he was now deceased, he passed away before the study came out. But he was part of the original gang of three, which was Melba Ketchum, Richard Stubstad and uh, very well known Biscardi associate Bob Schmalls back. Wow. And, and when that business got dissolved Stubstad started to speak out and Stubstad specifically spoke out about a lot of this is ego driven a lot of this is you know ego driven and that was the biggest thing she wanted the name she wanted the marquee fine she should have it but she was all about uh, being very it seemed to me uh very paranoid with the draconian uh agreements to to process the samples um that it was about ego and of course what would you expect i mean it seems to me it was about ego because here's all these peer reviews and she's jumping up and down saying me 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 so and then then now we have to build our cult following up by claiming this was going on and that was going on and that was going on so to me it's very clear what what's going on there so that's why she's in my hall of shame yeah, I noticed. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I hope that after people read my book, you won't put me in there too. But I really think um, um, I would just like to to have some people understand this. Um, and I, I'm I'm not going to make any money on the book. Um, it's priced reasonably, and you know that's not the reason. I just want the truth to come out. And I would appreciate comments, pro and con polite constructive um give me everything you got and because you know science evolves nobody's got all the answers nothing's yep. the final word really so and, maybe and i you, overlooked something and you know what nobody goes in that hall of shame for being wrong <laughs> they go they go into the they go into the hall of shame for for 
not only being wrong, but being proven wrong and then insisting that they're right and yeah. putting out yeah. false information. And that's yeah. exactly what's guy because after seven, eight years of this now, you know, just give it up. <laughs> Melba, give it up. It, it's over with. Nobody yeah. believes it's it. Hard, it's hard to admit that if you put so much in and been on the TV and the radio and everything that that you were wrong. That's that's but yeah, a big person has to do that. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. So anyway, folks, uh, Doctor Hart, thanks a million for coming on. It's been a lot of fun. I hope you've had fun, and um, I enjoyed it. And uh, you guys are good conversationalists, and your audience had excellent questions. And as I said, I'll answer any more in detail if you go to the Bigfoot Forum. There and you go. so good to hear from y'all, and uh, I'll I'll try to uh, continue to provide some answers if I can, or direct you to somebody who knows more. Amen. Awesome. <clears throat> so anyway, folks, uh, on behalf of uh, Chris, any any final words? Oh, I just want to say uh, thanks again, Doctor Hart. We really appreciate it. It was an honor having you, and uh, I'd like to thank our audience for our great, great audience for being here with us once again and remind you if you're on youtube watching on youtube please hit subscribe uh share you know comment whatever you got to do uh it helps us out with the ratings helps we get more stuff we can put more links in there so uh thanks everybody see you next time absolutely and don't forget to subscribe like and share to our youtube page every little bit helps hit that notification bell learn when we cut new videos and new new posts so, any folks, on behalf of me and Chris and Dr. Hart, we want to wish everybody a great, wonderful weekend or week ahead. Be safe, keep healthy, God bless, and of course, keep on squatching, folks. We'll catch you all here next week, Sunday, 9 p.m. Eastern, Squatch D TV. Good night. Hey, folks, you've been watching Squatch D TV. Join us each week, Sunday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, for the latest on the Bigfoot mystery. As always, we thank you for being our loyal viewers and encourage all to subscribe to our YouTube page at youtube.com slash stevecalls. As always, have a great week. Stay safe. God bless. And keep watching.